0: Morning. It's nice to uh, be able to serve in this way again. I wanted to start this morning by, by asking what comes to mind when I say family? Is it good feelings or bad feelings when I say family? You know, I, I, I love family get togethers, uh, I love being together, family reunions. Uh, can you click to the next slide, please, Paul. This is a, a picture from my grandparents' joint eightieth birthday party. I am in there somewhere, among the, the twenty-two grandchildren on my side on the Davis side of the family. I find it great just to to be together, to catch up, to see how people are doing, what they're up to. And I just love being with family. And I'm I'm sure you have perhaps the same feelings. You might have some mixed feelings. You might be thinking with one or two family members, you think, mm, well. I'm not so sad when they're not, they don't turn up to a birthday party or something, isn't it? You know, it's, sometimes you have those mixed feelings. But I wanted to start this morning, but to just think about this theme of family, because today we're going to look at the theme of family in the context of the church. And our passage today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 5, and it's an intensely personal passage, an intensely personal passage to see this morning the love that Paul has here as he writes these words to these Christians in Thessalonica. So if you have your Bible with you, could you turn with me please to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, I'll read from verse 7, if you don't have your Bible then you can just listen along as I read it out to you. First Thessalonians in chapter 2, we'll start reading from verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. In the background of this book that we're going through, First Thessalonians, is that Paul is writing a letter to a church in Thessalonica, which is a, a, a city that is in modern-day Greece now, in, in southern modern-day Greece. And it's a church that Paul and, uh, and his companions planted. He speaks of Timothy there. The other companion is Silas. Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they planted this church. But sadly, as they were planting it, they were separated from the church. They were suddenly separated. And it, you can read about that in Acts chapter 17. And so far in this letter, we've seen Paul's deep love for the church, how proud he is of them, and how they're serving God how they're living for God. And in chapter 2, Paul describes himself as a mother and a father to them, how he's cared for them, how he's nurtured them, how he's risen them up in the faith. And he continues this language in verse 17, as we read, as he likens himself now to being orphaned from them. Separate, like, being, like a child being separated from his, their parents, he feels like he's been orphaned. That was the level of sorrow that he had from being separated from the church. And Paul says, therefore, that he and his companions have had an intense longing to see them again, an intense longing to see them again. The Greek word Paul uses here for longing is the same word that's normally used in the Bible for an intense passion Or even lusting. Paul uses it to describe this strong, emotional, intensely deep longing that he had to see this church again. And he wanted to see them again because as we've read, the church was in a time of testing. They're not only suffering persecution, as it says in verses 3 to 4, but the tempter is tempting them to abandon their faith. As it says in verse 5 of chapter 3. Satan, the tempter, is tempting them to abandon their faith and to go back to what they were doing before, which was worshipping idols. And of course, his here, then, is not for himself, not for how his well-being is, but for his brothers and sisters in Christ. His desire is to see how they're living, how they're getting on, and most importantly, how their faith is. In verse 5 of chapter 3, he says, I sent to find out about your faith. Paul wanted to see if they were continuing to live for Jesus in the midst of these trials. He was trying to see if this persecution, these trials, had not overcome them. And so he was desperate to see them. And therefore he sent Timothy. And why did he send Timothy? He says to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Desires not for himself, but for them. Do we see the compassion and love that he has for them here? His intense longing to see them again. He's been separated from them and he's desperate to see them because they're in intense persecution at the moment. And so he's desperate to see them. And this morning I want us to ask the question, are we showing this same type of intense love for people in our fellowship, in our church? Are we displaying this same intense, deep desire and love? When I say church, does the word family come to mind? Can we go to the next slide? When I say church, does the word family come to mind? The Bible speaks of the family of God, the church. It says, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and are seeking to follow him are part of the family. You see, God is desperate to have an intimate relationship with every single one of us desperate to have an intense, close, deep relationship with every single one of them. And so Jesus came to remove the thing that was blocking this relationship with God, and that thing was our sin. The things that we get wrong, the things that when we disobey God's law. And that's what separated us from God. But Jesus came to bridge that gap between us and God. And if we believe in Jesus in his sinless life, his death and his resurrection, we become part of the family of God. And it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, that to all who believed in Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're a part of God's family. And that is a privilege and a blessing to meet together. Well, then we should ask the question, shouldn't we, what should that then look like? What should that then look like as we meet and serve together? What should that look like? When we meet on a day like today, do we see ourselves as meeting together as a family? Do we see ourselves as relatives? Having an earthly family is a wonderful gift. It's a wonderful gift from God, but it is a temporary one. Being a part of God's family is an eternal state. Once you're a part of God's family, it does not end. We are part of it forever. And our spiritual family, the church, actually has a stronger bond than our family that we're related to by blood. Because we, as a family of God, are united together in Christ. In God. And so the bond between us as a family, as a church, is stronger than the bond that we have between our blood relatives. Or it should be. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 says, We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. The Bible says that we belong to each other for all eternity, family, as a church. The Bible uses this picture of the church as Christ's body. And each of us as Christians are one part or one member of the body. Each of us. And we are all created for a specific role within that body. And a member of a body cannot function by itself. If I took my hand off, it would not last, would weaken and it would die. And a, a member of God's family of the church cannot function by itself. That's why the church works best when it, all of us are together as members of the body working and serving and playing the role that everyone has to play. Every single one of us who is a Christian this morning and is a part of the family of God has a role to play. No one is Everyone, God has given gift or to use, to build up and encourage us as a church. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As we meet and serve together as church, as the family of God, All of us grow and mature in our faith, and we don't normally see it. But as we meet and as we work and serve together and serve each other, we grow and mature in our faith. Well, the question is, do we just see church as just a gathering of people, like a concert or a social group? Do we see church as something just to be used or something to... Love and truth. The Bible says as family, we should be committed to loving one another. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What Jesus is saying is that the first thing we should be doing in our lives is loving God and worshipping God and following God and serving God because of who he is and what he is. It's the first and greatest commandment. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Love people like you love yourself. And the Bible actually says that we as church, that is what we should be known for, our love for one another as a family, as a church. Jesus said in John chapter 13, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So it's how how we live together, how we relate to each other, how we love each other as Christians, that's how people will see Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. As we live and serve uh, serve each other and work together at the church, that's what Jesus is shown to those out there. When you think of church, is that what comes to mind? Do we see a community that loves each other? loves being with each other, loves serving each other, caring for one another. And if it's not, then we all need to ask the question, how can I develop the relationships between my brothers and sisters in the church? How can I show love to my brother and sister in the church? I saw this quote uh, recently, which challenged my view of churches. on the next slide. Churches should be as such. The people walk in and say, I have never seen love like this. I have never seen love like this. Are we a family that love each other? Now, of course, I mentioned earlier that relationships are not easy. They're hard sometimes. We all have some family members that we think, oh, we struggle with them. But well, that's a part of life. And life is all about relationships. And Jesus has called us not to just love every be member of God's family, but more than that to love like he loves us. In John chapter 13, verse 34, it says, a new command I give you he's talking to his disciples here, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's not only that we love each other just in general, it's A step higher than that, it's love as Jesus has loved us. And what that means is, can we honestly say, I would die for each person in this room? Because that is the level of love that Jesus is talking about here when he says, love like I have loved you. Could we honestly say that we would die for each person, brother and sister in this room? And this is hard, not only because it is against our nature to think about other people, My uncle sometimes defines sin as S-I-N, selfish, independent nature. Thinking about me, that's what sin is. And because of our nature, we struggle to think about other people. And that makes it hard, but it's made harder by the fact that we have an enemy who opposes that very mindset. In verse 18 of the passage we've read, Paul and his companions had sought to get to the Thessalonian church repeatedly to encourage them in their faith, but who blocked their way? Satan blocked their way. Satan blocked our way, Paul says. Satan the tempter, as he's called in verse 5 of chapter chapter 3, was trying to break down the faith of the church by tempting them, telling them to abandon their faith, but he was also blocking Paul from getting to the church so he could encourage them. And Satan is always going to be active in trying to disrupt the work of God. Always. He seeks to destroy our faith. He doesn't seek for us to trip up. He seeks for us to abandon our faith completely. He seeks to destroy it. And he will always be active as long as we are serving God and attempting to engage in the work that God has for us. He will always oppose us. And as God seeks to change us and make us more like the Lord Jesus, Satan will try to stop this. And Satan does this in many ways, but one of them will be that he will stop Christians from meeting together. Satan will try to stop us from meeting together because Satan knows that we as Christians are more vulnerable when we're by ourselves. When we're away from Christians around us, when we're detached believers, outside, away from the family of God, that's when Satan knows it's the best to strike. Because we're our weakest. When Christians are together, we encourage one another because when we pray together, when we read and feed on God's word as we were discussing last week, by serving one another, Satan does not want this to happen. Satan is not happy that we're meeting this morning. This is why Satan tried to block Paul because he knew that Paul wanted to get to the Thessalonians and encourage them in their faith. So Paul says, but Satan blocked me. Now, we don't know exactly how, how Satan walked Paul. It's, it's, an, it's, it's discussed in, in, in the commentaries in the, by the scholars. It's not completely sure. It's it suggested that maybe where Paul was, at this point he was probably in Athens. It's suggested that there might have been opposition in Athens, that he couldn't get out of the city. Or it might have been, which is more likely, Paul was actually suffering from an illness, which he, was, which he talks about in the second letter of Corinthians. But whatever we take from that, that Satan blocked Paul, what we realize is as Christians, we are in a battle. We are in a battle. Choosing Jesus means that we're in opposition to Satan and his forces. Therefore, those forces will seek to hinder us as we seek to live for Jesus, and seek to spread his gospel, and seek to encourage each other as a family, Satan will try to block us. The Bible says that we, as we live the Christian life, we're we're not in a battle against physical forces as such, but as spiritual forces. The forces of hell and the forces of Satan. As we're Christians, as we go about this life, Satan will try to oppose us in any way he can. And so how can we as a church, the family of God together, how can we together help each other in this battle? What does that look like? In the book of Ephesians, which is another letter that Paul wrote, Paul describes how we as Christians need to use spiritual weapons. We need to use spiritual weapons to defend ourselves against our enemy. And Paul describes these items of defense as the armor of God. And one of the weapons he talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 is that he talks about the weapon of prayer be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul encourages us as a church, as a family, to pray for one another. As we pray, we can pray for each other to be strengthened by God in our trials. This is why the prayer diary that we're putting together as a church at the moment is a vital thing. It's a fantastic resource because you're going to be able to pray for each of the members of our church every month. And we're going to be grounded in prayer. Praying for one another to be strengthened and to keep walking for God, to keep living for God. But we we don't have to just rely on the prayer diary. We can do smaller things. Something I've been trying to do recently is most of us will have mobile phones. One of the things I've been trying to do recently is just put a reminder or an alarm on my phone every day. It comes up, pray for such... Some, somebody else I know uh, uses post notes around the house. And every, they, have a, they have a post-it note in every room in their house and they, have, and they write the name of someone who needs to be prayed for. And need, every time they enter that room, they will pray for that person. And you could do that, you could have a post-it note in your car, or in your workplace, on your computer screen. These are little things, but we underestimate the power and the importance of prayer. We can't do anything without prayer, because we can't do anything without God. What does Paul say he does for the church in verse 2 of chapter 1? I continually mention you in my prayers. Are we praying for each other as a family? But it wasn't just prayer that Paul, Timothy, and Silas were engaging in. We can see the compassion that they have for the church because Timothy is sent to strengthen and encourage them in faith so that no one would be unsettled by the trials that they're going through. And they had a deep concern with how this church was walking with the Lord which led to action. They cared for their brothers and sisters so much that they acted. Love requires action. I'm sure there are many husbands here this morning who have been told this by their significant others. Love requires action, particularly as Valentine's Day was going two weeks ago. Love means acting. Love means doing something. Rick Warren, a Christian pastor and writer, says, That you can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. Love means being active. Uh, The Apostle John, a follower of the Lord Jesus, uh, once said this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. How active are we being in showing love for one another? This special love, this this godly love, this divine love. How active are we being in showing this love for one another? It might be simple, as maybe as simple as just asking a question. One of the things I've been challenged about recently, when I meet with my Christian brothers and sisters at home in Wales, how often am I asking them, how is your faith with God going? When was the last time when you met together with Christians, perhaps in your home or wherever it might be, When was the last time you asked them, how is your walk with the Lord going? What are you reading in the Bible at the moment? I have a friend back home who always asks me without failing, what are you reading in the Bible at the moment? How often are we asking each other, how are we doing in our walk with the Lord? How is your faith? It may even mean visiting people and praying with them. This is why home groups are such a gift. Because we can meet together and we can pray together. We can be accountable to one another. We can share and we can read and feed on God's word together and discuss it. And as we said earlier, that's what strengthens us as a family. In Hebrews, the writer says this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Can we click to the next slide, please, Paul? Note how the writer makes mention of the coming of the Lord Jesus. He is coming. And as his return draws ever closer, we need to continue to encourage one another as a family, as a church. Is that our goal when we meet together? When we meet on a Sunday morning, is that our goal? To encourage each other in faith and to build each other up, is that our goal? Or do we just come because we need to come, because we always have, just to get what we can out of the service and then leave? What is our goal when we meet together? Paul here is he's desperate, he's desperate to see how the church is doing. He's so selfless. It wasn't all about how he was doing, how he was suffering, and he was suffering. It's all about how his fellow Christians, his brothers and sisters, how they were doing. Are we drawing alongside one another when we're going through difficult times? Are we showing Christ-shaped love that we've mentioned earlier? Loving each other as Jesus loved us. Because that's how Jesus will be seen. Over the course of, of the past two weeks, I've had three friends from back home call me. Three brothers in the Lord. Three going through quite horrible situations. Things that I can't discuss. From here. Some really difficult situations. And I'm laying the challenge before myself. Am I praying for them? Am I loving them? Am I seeking to strengthen them and encourage them in their faith as they walk these difficult Maybe some of you are under intense persecution right now. Some intense struggle, some intense hurt, some intense suffering. We as a family have a duty to each other. We belong to each other as it says in God's word. We belong to each other, an eternal family. And we have a duty to love one another because this is the place, this is the place where love should be displayed at its highest If we claim to know God, God who is love, therefore it should be seen in how we deal with each other as a church. If we claim to know God who is love, that love should be displayed in us, and particularly as we come together and meet together as a family. As we've read, God provided the circumstances for Timothy to get to the Thessalonian church. And next week, we're going to see how their faith was holding up. But I wanted to end just now by looking at verses 19 to 20 of the passage. Where Paul says, what is our hope, our joy or in the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. We see here Paul's pride for the church. He's so proud of them. He loves what God's doing in them and through them. What Paul is saying here is that the joy that he will have on the day when Jesus returns will be seen in the Thessalonians as they meet Jesus. Paul's not boasting here about what he's doing. Paul is boasting in what God has done in the Thessalonians' lives. And then I ask the question to myself. What are we boasting in? Are we boasting in the love that God has shown each of us? Are we loving each other in the same way that Jesus loved us? Paul invested so much time in this church. So much care in this church. Why? Because he wasn't living for himself, but for his Savior, who he knew was coming soon. He believed wholeheartedly was coming soon, and he is coming soon. Are we living for the day when Jesus returns? Is that what we're living for? Are we doing everything we can to serve him as the day approaches? Are we fulfilling our role in the body of the church? Maybe some of you are thinking about a certain ministry at the moment that you'd like to get involved in. Or you're wondering how you could in some way serve the church. Please do not neglect what God is saying to you. What he's saying, what he's stirring in your heart. If that's what you're feeling at the moment, please come and chat to to an elder or to a leader of a ministry. Whether it be a youth ministry, a children's ministry, a social ministry. Don't neglect what God might be saying to you. If God is saying to you this morning, I want you to step up and take uh, an active role in this certain ministry. Do not neglect what he's saying. Trust what the Spirit is saying to you. We all need to be asking the question, how can we serve? Are we trying to build each other up as a body? As a family? As brothers and sisters united together in Christ? Do we seek to be a family as a church which displays this love? And is it so displayed that people look and say, what they have is so different to anything else because that's what it should look like. We should look so different, so distinct, so unique because we have the love of God to share with the world. Do people see Jesus through the way we are as a church? Let's pray to God. Father, this morning we're humbled by your word. We're challenged. So challenged because this love that we see and we feel is just awesome. It is amazing. It cannot be comprehended. It is a love that consumes. And Father, help us as we go about our day-to-day lives to share this love with the world and to share and show this love with each other so that the people outside might marvel and say, wow, this love is different to anything else. May you help us, Lord, strengthen us, equip us in faith, draw us together as a family, and may we continue to seek and to serve you in every way we can. In the name and for the glory of our Lord Jesus.